0: In the name of Jesus amen if I asked you to summarize the Christian life and the entire bible how would you do it and if I asked you to describe in one word the commandments of God what word would that be and to us the words maybe commands or direction or instruction or demands or rules Comes to mind. In fact, people tend to describe and summarize the Ten Commandments as a long list of rules for Christians to follow. And if you ask Jesus that question, what would he say? In the Gospel lesson, Jesus answers this question The Pharisees and the Sadducees are at odds with one another. And the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees who tried to trap Jesus with a question about the resurrection. Remember, it's the question of uh, a woman has multiple husbands whose husband uh, will be hers in the resurrection, right? And so they try to trap Jesus with this this hypothetical question. So then the Pharisees see an opportunity and they send a lawyer over to Jesus to try and trap him with a question from their side. And this lawyer is not just um, a lawyer in the law of the land, but this is one who is an expert in the law of God. Right, one of their experts. So to test Jesus and to trap him, they send him this guy who knows his stuff. And so he asks Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So they're asking this question, for what reason? It's To trap Jesus. Because if Jesus says that any one commandment is the greatest, then they'll come against him for whichever commandment he didn't say. So you see the trap. So they don't know what he's going to say, but they know that whatever he does say, they're going to be against it simply because that's Jesus and they want to create division. So to complicate it more, the Pharisees had a bunch of rules. They searched the books of Moses and they came up with a long list of rules. They had 613 of these rules to be exact. And 365 of them told them what not to do And 248 told them what to do. So for them, if they kept all of these rules, then they'd be obeying the law of God. They fulfilled the law of God as long as they kept these 613 rules. So when they ask Jesus what the great commandment in the law is, they're expecting Jesus to debate about which one of these 613 rules is most important. And how does Jesus respond? He quotes Deuteronomy 6 and saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So do you see what he does here? He doesn't just answer the question, but he summarizes the entire law into one word. Love. Love for God and love for your neighbor. As we talked, and as I said in the beginning of the service, the distinction between the first three commandments and the final seven, the first three talk about our relationship with God. And this is what the first and great commandment is. And the second seven, or the second table, the last seven, talk about our relationship with one another. And yet at the heart of this is love. So it says love not rules is the summary of the law of God. So every command, every demand, every rule and teaching, the heart of it is love. So Jesus teaches us the truth of his word. That there is a colossal difference between rules and love. Rules can make you obey. Right? They can threaten you. They can make you afraid. Do this, don't do that for whatever reason. And they can force you to behave. But no rule can make you love. Love has to come from the heart. It it must come from within. It can't be forced from without. So the Pharisees' problem is that they equated the rule following with Keeping and fulfilling God's law. So, as, as long as they went through the motions and did what the rules required, they thought, Look, I'm safe. For them, it didn't matter what you thought, what you believed, what you felt, what was in the heart. What only matters was that you checked it off, that you did it. And the truth is, when we realize this, we see that this Pharisaical view of God's law is oftentimes found in our own hearts. We regard God's law, or his word, his commandments, as simply a set of rules. And we think that by following those rules, we'll be pleasing to God. So we think of the Christian life in this way. It's just about what we do. So we go through the motions of just doing what we do, because that's just what we do. If you've grown up a Christian, in fact, this is a very likely uh, temptation to fall into. You can fall into this pattern and habit of life. And you can always tell who has fallen into this kind of mindset. You can ask the Christian, you know, the the normal Christian, why is it that the worship service and the liturgy is the way it is? And they'll respond because that's just the way we've done it. Uh, We've done it in the past. That's how I grew up. Rather than saying, the reason we do, we have the worship and liturgy the way we do is because we love the Word of God and we want to hear it the entire service day in and day out. Or you can ask Why do we sing these hard and difficult and obscure hymns? And they might say, well, that's just what was picked or that's just the the hymn for the day. Rather than saying, we sing these hymns because we love them, that they're true to the Bible. They confess God's word and and they, they teach on the crucifixion of Christ and they teach his word purely and beautifully. That's why we sing them. Or you can ask, why is it that you guys practice close communion? Why, why does Zion practice close communion? And, and they'll say, well, that's just how it is. That's our policy. Ah, that's the worst. Uh, to say, oh, it's just a policy. It's just something our synod came up with, and we just don't. That's our rule to follow. Rather than saying, well, 1 Corinthians 11 is clear, and we love God, and we love our neighbor, and we believe God is truly here as he says he is, And that those who receive it unworthily would receive it to their judgment. We don't want that. So we want to instruct and we want to teach. And we want everyone to receive it joyfully and for their forgiveness. That's why. So the point is this. That you'll find that many Christians don't know why they do what they do. It's just rules that they have to follow. This even happens when it comes to the gifts of God. God's gifts of forgiveness, life and salvation are reduced to A checklist of do's and don'ts. So baptism is just the thing that we do sometime after the baby is born, as long as we have everything else in place first. Or going to church is simply about checking in and checking out and checking it off the list, as long as it doesn't interfere with something that's more entertaining that day. Or the Lord's Supper is just something that we have to tack on to the end of the service, even though it adds a bit of time. But this all shows the graphic reality that when we think this way, we're no different than the Pharisees. That we don't love God with our whole heart. We're not joyfully doing these things gladly, holding his word sacred. And Jesus says this in Matthew 15. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is what we fall into. This is the sin That we have. So this is what you have to understand. That just because you followed the rules, don't think that you fulfilled the law. Going to church and baptizing your kids and taking the Lord's Supper, not murdering, not committing adultery, these are all good things, yes. And they are things to do, yes. But this does not fulfill the law. The law of God must not only be fulfilled by your hands, but also by your heart. God doesn't just want you to simply obey rules. No, he wants all of your love, your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is what he asks for. So the reason we go to church and the reason we should worship God and God alone and love him above all things is, is because of that. We should worship God alone because we love him. And yet many times we do so only out of habit or family tradition. It's because it's Sunday again, and that's what we do. Or the reason we use his name properly and we don't throw it around like a cuss word is because we actually love the name of Jesus that saves us from hell and damnation. But many times we use his name to curse and to swear because the second commandment is nothing but a rule for us. The reason we go to church, do devotions and sing hymns and read the Bible should be because we love God and we love the word of life. But far too often, we do it begrudgingly because in all honesty, we realize that we don't really love his word all that much. The same goes for loving our neighbor, for honoring our father and mother, for not murdering, not cheating, not stealing, not gossiping, not coveting. They're all rules and they're all good rules, but we oftentimes find ourselves following these rules because that's just the thing we do. When in reality, we should do it because we actually love our parents, because we love life, and we want to protect it, because we love our spouse, because we love property, because we love reputation, and we love what God has given to us. We're not discontent. But when we don't love our neighbor, we find it's because we love ourselves more. So God doesn't want you slavishly obeying rules. He could have made robots for that. If you're coming to church and saying prayers and behaving well in order to justify yourself, in order to say, well, look, God, I did all the things you told me to do. I checked them all off the list. What else do you want me to do? What else do you want from me? Then you have no love for God and no love for your neighbor. If you trick yourself into thinking, look, well, I obeyed the rules, so I'm good with God. I've done these things. Right? Then your rules are completely useless. God isn't impressed. Even dogs can learn to obey rules. God wants your love, your heart, your soul, your mind. That and only that fulfills the law. So now it's Jesus' turn. It's his turn to ask the question. And he asks, he asks the Pharisees, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said, well, the son of David. And he said, okay, then how is it that, that uh, David in the spirit calls him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one answered him a question and no one uh, wanted to speak to him anymore. Jesus is talking about Psalm 110. And he's essentially saying this. King David had a son right, uh, down the line, who is Christ. And yet David called this son to be his Lord. Why? Because the son that would come through the lineage of David was the one that created the lineage in the first place. (laughs) Jesus was a descendant of David, and yet he is David's maker. Jesus is God in the flesh, So this seems sort of random. Why does Jesus ask this question? It seems kind of like a non-sequitur. We're talking about the law, and now all of a sudden we're thrown into the son of David and Psalm 110. It's because Jesus is exposing their ignorance. And just as the Pharisees knew about rules, knew about rules, but nothing about the law of God, so too they know about David's son, but nothing about the Christ. Jesus pointed out that the Pharisees didn't know the love that they were supposed to give. And now he exposes them even more when he shows them that they know less about the love that God gives. So Jesus asked this question to take their eyes off of trying to fulfill the law themselves and teaches them about the one who has come to fulfill the law for them. So Christ, who is David's son, yet David's Lord, has come to fulfill the law with love. Love from the heart with all of his soul, strength, and mind. Jesus teaches them and he teaches us here today that the essence of Christianity is not simply a set of rules to follow. Rather, the essence of Christianity is the love of God fulfilled in Christ our Lord. Christ teaches us that he has come to save us with a love that we didn't have or couldn't find in ourselves. He has come to love us better than we could ever love him. God became man to love us to death. He became a man to show us perfect love, a love that is much more than an example for us to follow, a love that actually belongs to us, a love that has become our righteousness and innocence and perfection before our Father in heaven. For Jesus, we weren't simply a checklist item for him to do. He didn't suffer and die on the cross begrudgingly. He actually loved us with his whole heart. See, the Advent hymn, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You, says it so beautifully. Love caused your incarnation, love brought you down to me. Your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty. O love beyond all telling that led you to embrace in love, O love excelling, our lost and fallen race. So the reason God became man was because he loved you. And this is how he loved us that the same week Jesus was asked this question about the law is the same week he fulfilled that law as he would lay down his life for his enemies, loving his neighbor more than himself, loving the world even while it killed him, and loving the father even while he was forsaken. He not only answered the question of the greatest commandment with his mouth, but he fulfilled that great commandment with his flesh. As his heart was pierced and emptied to its final drop. He gave up his spirit in a cry of forgiveness. It fulfilled the love that we lacked. And he loved us to the end. So dear saints, Christ has lived for you. He has loved for you. And he has died for you. He's taken the punishment of our sins upon Himself. He has taken away our lovelessness and our loveless hearts and has given us His perfect love. Not only has He died for us, what's more than that is He has risen for us with an undying, unending love that can never be quenched. So more than being simply a set of rules, the Christian life is about love. And more than being about your love, this life is about God's love for you. So as you cling to Jesus and his love, you'll learn more and more what it means to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And even though your love in this life will never be perfect, Christ's love for you is. And he not only loved you enough to create you, but he loved you again to redeem you and again to sanctify you and again to resurrect you and to bring you to that final day when faith and hope will disappear and end, but your love will be perfected and endure forever in him. Amen. The peace of God will surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.